When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey there, welcome to The Tent. I'm your host, Scott Fellman, and it's time for another foray into the world of aquariums from a slightly different perspective. You know, it's been like, what, six years now, almost, yeah, about a little over six years since uh, Ten and Aquatic started, and it's been really cool to see the sort of whole idea of creating more natural aquariums in both form and function uh, being discussed more widely than ever. I'd like to think we played a small role in that sort of sea change. Many hobbyists have done that, but I think we've, we've done our part and it's kind of exciting. All sorts of more natural aquarium systems and I'm stoked to see this evolution, not just for what you'd think would be the obvious reasons. I mean, yes, I sell botanicals to accomplish stuff. No, 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 that, that's not the reason. Um, what I'm really excited about is the fact that we as a hobby are studying and learning and perfecting methodologies and practices for creating really more functional environments in our aquariums, which is helping along the way to sort of unlock secrets about caring for and breeding all sorts of fishes. We're questioning the prevailing mindsets that we've held regarding the way we approach things in our aquariums. We're questioning the status quo and sometimes just thinking why we do things the way we do. It's an interesting mindset shift that's been constantly evolving. And again, I can say that no one person invented the idea of more natural functioning aquariums or blackwater or brackish or any of the other ideas that we go on and on about here. This is merely an evolution and sort of a desire on the part of many hobbyists to push out a bit from where we've been for so long, much in the way aquatic plant enthusiasts or reef aquarium hobbyists have done over the years as well. One of the topics that's come up more and more frequently in discussions lately is how we approach pH management or other environmental parameters in blackwater or botanical style aquariums. Or more specifically, how we adapt our animals to the parameters that we've created for them in our aquariums and if there's a better approach to this. I recall a conversation uh, with uh, the well-known aquarium hobbyist Ted Judy not long ago. Uh, Ted had been to Colombia where he visited both wild habitats of uh, kerosens, dwarf cichlids, and other fishes, and then the facilities of local wholesalers who traded in them. And he took some extensive environmental measurements, which I think is really cool, at both the wild sites and the collection facilities, and was able to garner some interesting information. Now, his results, as he shared with me, seem to indicate that we as a hobby seem to be approaching the care of some species, get away for it, incorrectly. Some species, particularly angelfish and others, seem to categorically do better when kept under conditions more closely resembling those from which they've come. I know this doesn't sound earth shattering and we've talked about this stuff before, but it's a conversation that I really find fascinating. The idea that just because your fishes from soft acidic habitats are looking pretty good and have adapted to your hard alkaline tap water and maybe even breed doesn't mean that they can, you know, can do well over time or over generations while kept under these conditions. I mean, maybe they can, or quite simply, it doesn't mean that they're perhaps the best conditions for them. This is not to say that fishes can't adapt to your local water conditions or that there is only one way to keep them. No, no, no. My point is that this may indeed not be the best way to keep fishes, even though it might be the easiest way for us. It may make more sense 
in the big picture to more realistically replicate the environmental parameters, and I'm specifically emphasizing pH, alkalinity, conductivity, that kind of stuff, of the environments from where our fishes come from. And that may involve venturing into, you know, heretofore forbidden waters, pun intended. <laughs> we, you know, we're a bit perplexed because in the past we were told that more natural, soft, low pH black water parameters are somehow dangerous, difficult to recreate, and even more difficult to manage. And again, I think this is one of those generalizations of sorts. As longtime, uh, you know, Aquarius can tell you, and as myself as a longtime reef Aquarius from several decades, I can confidently tell you that a high percentage of the time we spend as reefers is to replicate as closely as possible the natural reef conditions from which our fishes and invertebrates and corals come from. You can't adapt corals to radically different environmental parameters than those which they've evolved under. It's a case of accommodating their needs, not ours. And this is really no different. With ammonia less toxic at lower pH levels, I've got to think there's an advantage there somewhere to keeping you know, blackwater fishes under more appropriate conditions. Yet these conditions are often classified as dangerous or unmanageable. Are they really? Honestly, as we've discussed before, I don't think that this is the case. They're simply not immediately obvious or easy to figure out. We haven't fully studied it yet. I mean, some people have, but it really in the general aquarium hobby hasn't really discussed this. We haven't really developed the most reliable and easily replicable techniques yet to fully recreate these kind of conditions. We're just getting started, really. And again, drawing a, an analogy to my reef keeping and coral propagation work, it was really just a matter of translating some of the field research and aquarium work into procedure. And it's still evolving. Like in many other endeavors, difficult, tedious, and so-called time-consuming often weeds out a lot of people who want to keep these tough fishes in their tanks. We want simple whenever possible. And the, the process of adapting wild specimens to aquariums who've dealt with many physical insults on their way from, you know, stream to aquarium can only benefit from more natural environmental conditions. I'll say it one more time. This is not impossible stuff. It's simply going to require some continued work on our part to figure it out. Oh, and some courage, because you're going to be challenged, scrutinized, and criticized, because it's sort of taboo in the mainstream aquarium world to challenge some long-held assertions, isn't it? But conceptually, even in the freshwater hobby, this is not a new thing. African Rift Lake cichlid fanciers have been providing more natural habitat-specific water parameters for their animals for decades, with much success and very little scrutiny. It's not argued that Rift Lake cichlids generally need hard alkaline water. Providing them with more environmentally correct conditions to help them thrive and reproduce in captivity for extended periods of time has just made the successful maintenance and propagation of Rift Lake cichlids that much more accessible to more and more hobbyists. In a broad sense, however, much of the hobbies relied on what I like to call the adaptation approach of getting fishes to comply with the environmental parameters that we can most easily supply for them. It's worked for a lot of fishes and aquatic life forms, at least in the short run. Yet here's where it gets interesting. Wouldn't there be some more lasting benefit to more accurately accommodating their needs versus adapting them to ours? I can't help but question whether or not our fishes would be able to live longer lifespans, enjoy greater health, and reproduce more easily, not to mention display better colors, if provided with conditions in the aquarium that more accurately replicate the wild habitats from which they've evolved. And I'm not just talking about low pH, I'm talking about exposing them to humic substances, tannins, other organic and inorganic compounds that are typically found in uh, environments which have specific soil composition, substrate compositions, uh, tree roots, 
um, wood, seed pods, etc., etc., leaves, as we talked about. My hunch is yes. Now, I'm not a biologist. I, again, I, and I have to ask if we've truly, you know, have we truly bred out their evolutionary adaptations to these environments, to which they've evolved in over eons, uh, after only a few decades in captivity, or if the fish has simply adapted to what we've provided them to some extent. Now, I can't argue with the fact that, sure, people are breeding discus, they're breeding, you know, some angelfish, a lot of cichlids are bred in what we call tap water conditions, which are radically different from what they were kept in in captivity. And I'm not going to argue with the success and the skill level of the people doing this, because obviously it works, but I can't help but wonder, is there some missing element that because it's, it's harder to provide or do on a commercial basis or, or whatever, is there some missing element that you know they're not getting by keeping them in these conditions under which they've evolved that would benefit them even more, but because it's difficult to do or maybe a little bit scary, we haven't done it? Again, I'm no scientist and I have a limited understanding of genetics, but I have that nagging thing in the back of my mind that tells me to question this stuff. Perhaps we have changed the genetic pool over time, but have we really circumvented millions of years of evolution? I just don't know. My hunch is no, but maybe. I just can't help but wonder how this plays out over the next few decades as wild populations of many of these fishes come under increasing pressure from the environment and from other factors. We're doing great as a hobby. I think we can do better. And over and over, if you question the current prevailing mindset on this stuff, many hobbyists are going to tell you that it's a slippery slope and that you'll be unable to accomplish this. That you know, low pH aquariums, for example, are difficult. We've talked about our cans and the the uh, the nitrite uh, nitrogen cycle at low pH and all these kind of interesting things. But people make these very specific sweeping generalities about how difficult some of these things are. And again, I'm not just referring to low pH environments. I'm referring to more uh, realistic environments that aren't necessarily always low pH. I mean, I wish I were more qualified to make this determination myself, but I somehow feel that this isn't so. Again, drawing from my experience with corals, I feel that there's some logic to this. And again and again, we're seeing fishes that are considered challenging to keep in aquariums because they favor these types of specialized parameters. We're seeing them thrive and reproduce when provided with them in our tanks. I get emails at least a few times a month from hobbyists that say, wow, you know, I've had these pencil fish for such a long time and a week after I put in my botanicals, boom, they started spawning. This pisto that I've been frustrated with, a few weeks after I, you know, started adding botanicals to my tank, they started, you know, breeding. Is this coincidence? Perhaps. In some cases, maybe the fish were just ready. Maybe the shakeup of adding new things to the environment, you know, triggered something concern you know scared the fish and you know, hey it's time to spawn maybe there were some chemical changes that things that aren't you know aren't detectable on test kits besides ph trace elements again humic substances there's thousands of them we don't know how to test for all these things so there's something sometimes we have to reconstruct or back engineer what works for the fishes that we're trying to keep sometimes it's just pure luck I think I'm kind of over the attitude I used to have that you need to acclimate fishes to your conditions instead of providing them with the conditions that they have evolved to live, thrive, and reproduce in for eons. I think that's a better way. Yeah, I do. And it goes back to something we've talked about a lot here, studying the natural habitats they come from and figuring out what the best way to replicate them is. Simple as that. I think that is such a great approach. There's no shortcuts. Honestly, it's not easy to do stuff that's just a bit unorthodox or requires experimentation. I get it. 
Figuring out how to do this isn't as simple as reaching for a magic potion or arriving at the perfect combination of three different leaves and seed pods or whatever to condition the water under any and all circumstances. And that intimidates a lot of people. Every situation, every tank, every nuance is unique. And this requires a customized solution for every aquarium. Sure, the methodology and the strategy and husbandry might be something which we can more or less standardize over time, but not the formula. For an example, the Rio Negro, one of our favorite rivers, right? And its many tributaries provide us many different fishes that we love to keep in aquariums. Now, the Negro's water is extremely poor in mineral content with conductivity as low as eight microsimians, which is really, really, you know, nutrient low, really low in, um, in nutrients and so forth. It's extremely acidic. The pH ranges from 2.9 to 5.2. That's pretty damn acidic by aquarium standards, isn't it? How can you replicate water like that in your aquarium? Do you even want to? Well, you start by using reverse osmosis deionized water and so-called conditioning it with botanicals and such, which might only get you so far. That water is more malleable in, in that condition, but the botanicals themselves probably only drop the pH so much. There'd likely be additional steps required, like the addition of acid solutions, different pH-reducing natural materials in your filter, zeolites, that kind of stuff, more detailed monitoring, and slightly different water quality maintenance approaches. This stuff touches on the fringes of what a lot of us are comfortable in doing. Look, I'm not really comfortable adding major, you know, acid solutions to my aquariums. I get it, and I respect people that are experimenting with it. Wouldn't it be easier to create and maintain these conditions with some compromising, like finding out the average of the pH or other parameters of the habitat you're trying to replicate and maybe going for it, or perhaps for the higher, easier to achieve limit of pH in the habitat, for example. Again, one could say, well, hey, you're sort of forcing the fish to fit into something that's you know, easier for you to accomplish. And I'd be remiss if I didn't say, yeah, I agree with you. But on the other hand, you're at least trying to get them towards something that's more realistic. And even with your sort of compromised accommodation approach. You'd be providing your fishes with environmental conditions that are far more realistic than those typically involved uh, or typically provided in uh, aquariums, right? I mean, by Los Angeles tap water at, that comes out of the tap at, you know, 8.7 or whatever is not necessarily conducive to, you know, fishes from the Rio Negro. But if I can knock that pH down to 6.3, 6.4, something that I can detain that's maybe a little easier for me, uh, but better for the fish, I think it's a win-win. Now, again, even with this kind of thing, uh, you got to wonder, is there a significant benefit to doing it? I believe so, but it's going to require some experimentation over time to prove. And that's what we need to do. We need to keep trying to provide optimum environmental conditions for our fishes, which replicate on the, to the greatest extent possible some of the characteristics found in their natural habitats. Now, sure, it's easy for me to sit here and talk about it because it's going to require some work to back up this hypothesis. And again, we've accomplished many amazing things without going crazy into trying to more accurately replicate, you know, every aspect of these natural conditions. But I can't help but wonder what we'd accomplish if we go just that much more further. We're going to, you know, getting better at this as, as a hobby and an industry, and we're going to continue to get better. I mean, think about it. We can create more habitat-specific water parameters right now because we have the means and a way more accurate and, a, you know, uh amount of applicable information about the natural habitats from which our fishes come from than ever before. And we have the means to monitor this stuff that simply weren't available to the hobby years ago. I mean, we have digital refractometers, we have, you know, TDS meters, we have, you know, RO, uh, uh, excuse me, uh, you know, 
uh, all sorts of testing kits. Boy, I lost my train of thought. That's what happens when I get into these things. I lose my train of thought. But anyway, bottom line is we have more accurate testing equipment than we ever had before. Now, you couple this with better management of lighting, thanks to LEDs, more controllable current, thanks to real high-tech electronically controlled pumps, very accurate temperature control, thanks to better heater and controller technology, and we're assured a continuing progression towards more natural or nature-specific captive environments for our animals because we have the technology to do it. Oh, and of course, there's the foods. Food's getting better than ever, and we're starting to see foods that contain a higher percentage of natural foods of many fishes, like aquatic insects, crustaceans, flies, fruit, stuff like that. And you can't state it enough. Today's hobbyist is talented, intuitive, creative, smart, compassionate, and communicative in a way that was never before possible. The work that I see being done is amazing. It's a really exciting time to be a hobbyist. The next level breakthroughs will require just as much courage, effort, and creativity as they did, you know, decades ago. But the means to accomplish them are now at our fingertips. And the potential payoffs in terms of fish health, greater understanding of their breeding habits, and perhaps even a more sustainable industry, not to mention greater awareness of and appreciation for the precarious nature of the wild habitats, will assure us a brighter hobby future for ourselves, for our fishes, and for our children. Don't shy from this challenge. Hit it head on. Accommodate. Don't adapt. Think about it. Stay brave. Stay experimental. Stay focused. Stay creative. Stay relentless. And always stay wet. Until next time, this is Scott Fellman from Tannin Aquatics. Thanks for spending part of your day with me. I look forward to seeing you on the next installment of The Tin.